Hello and welcome to Books by Old Dead Guys, episode 55. I'm Scott. And I'm David. And we are Walking Together Through Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices by Thomas Brooks and uh, have, have actually clipped away at this book pretty well. I'm kind of impressed. David, what have we learned so far? Yeah, so we've learned a ton so far, but the most recent device that we were looking at was um, that Satan uses to tempt us was looking at the sins of folks that are that whose lives are recorded in the Bible and thinking, well, if they did it, then surely I can do it. And so Brooks walks through various remedies to 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 help us see the foolishness inherent in thinking that way. And right. so he talks about how if yes, if if you can sin like David, can you also repent like David? Mm-hmm. You know, he talks about how sin is in itself a poison, that we should not look at these men who drank this poison and were sick unto death and think that we can continuously drink it day after day and not face eternal death. Right. And so just walk through various different remedies for that. But we're starting a a new device today. So Scott, why don't you take us away? Device number five, we're on page 36 of the... um Banner of Truth version of Precious Remedies, and here is what Brooks writes. Device five, to present God to the soul as one made up all of mercy. Oh, saith Satan, you need not make such a matter of sin. You need not be so fearful of sin, not so unwilling to sin, for God is a God of mercy, a God full of mercy, a God that delights in mercy, a God that is ready to show mercy, a God that is never weary of showing mercy, a God more prone to pardon his people than to punish his people, and therefore he will not take advantage against the soul. And why then, saith Satan, should you make such a matter of sin? Mm. Yeah, so Satan's Satan's device here is to emphasize the mercy of God over and above all the other attributes, attributes of, of God. God. Yeah, and I've I've heard this. You know, even you can sub out the word mercy with you know love. love. I like to think of God. God is a God of love. God says He is love. Yes, and so I, I've heard many many arguments from that statement yes. that seem to not really be in line. With what John is recording there for us. Correct. I feel like Brooks has got a few things to say about <laughs> indeed, that. Indeed, indeed he does. But that's that's what he's hitting at here is, is emphasizing the mercy, the love of God over and above all the other attributes yep. of God. Okay, so let's, let's look at remedies. Remedy one. The first remedy is seriously to consider that it is the sorest judgment in the world to be left to sin upon any pretense whatsoever. Oh, unhappy man, when God leaveth thee to thyself, and doth not resist thee in thy sins, woe, woe to him whose sins God doth wink. When God lets the way to hell be a smooth and pleasant way, that is hell on this side hell, and a dreadful sign of God's indignation against a man, a token of his rejection, and that God doth not intend good upon him. That is a sad word. Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. He will be uncounselable and incorrigible. He hath made a match with mischief. He shall have his belly full of it. He falls with open eyes. Let him fall at his own peril. And that 
is a terrible saying. So I gave them up unto their own heart's lusts, and they walked in their own counsels. A soul given up to sin is a soul ripe for hell, a soul posting to destruction. Ah, Lord, this mercy, I humbly beg that whatever thou givest me up to, thou wilt not give me up to the ways of my own heart. If thou wilt give me up to be afflicted or tempted or reproached, I will patiently sit down and say, it is the Lord. Let him do with me what seems good in his own eyes. Do anything with me. Lay what burden thou wilt upon me, but thou dost not give me up to the ways of my own heart. Mm. So Brooks talks about how much of a judgment it is to be given over mm. to sin. In that Romans 1 language again. Yes, God yes. gave them over to yes. the lust of the hearts, to impurities. Yes, that, that the, the greatest judgment is oftentimes to just be left to do your own devices. Yeah. To simply be left alone by God and yeah. not not restrained and not hemmed in and not pulled back, but just be left alone to do and run as you see fit, as far, far away as you can go. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that's the first thing he's saying here, right? Like if that's what you're thinking and that's how you're living, you are already experiencing in a very real sort of way this judgment, the judgment of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he goes on and here's the second remedy that he wants us to consider. The second remedy against this device of Satan is solemnly to consider that God is as just as he is merciful. As the scriptures speak him out to be a very merciful God, so... They speak him out to be a very just God, witness, his casting the angels out of heaven, and his binding them in chains of darkness to the judgment of the great day, and witness, his turning Adam out of paradise, his drowning of the old world, and his raining hell out of heaven upon Sodom, and witness all the crosses, losses, sicknesses, and diseases that be in the world, and witness Tophet who is prepared of old, witness his treasuring up of wrath against the day of wrath unto the revelation of the just judgments of God. But above all, witness the pouring forth of all his wrath upon his bosom son when he did bear the sins of his people and cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Mm. Yeah, so Brooks encourages us to consider that just as God is merciful, he is also just. Which is a very important day-to-day theological point when we're thinking about God, he is not one of his attributes at the expense of the other ones, yes. right? He's He is all of his attributes in equal measure. So he absolutely is love, as we were saying at the beginning, right? He also is absolutely just, yes. and he is absolutely wrathful. And the Bible is clear that God is angry at sin. Mm-hmm. He is angry about it. Mm-hmm. And, and he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, right? There is a reality there, which is why grace matters, you know, which leads to the question, well, then how has he punished the Christian, which is a fantastic question. He hasn't punished the Christian. The punishment that we deserve was put onto Christ. But if you're listening to this and you're a member of our church, we will just have studied Romans 6, right? Mm -hmm. Where the question is posed, well, should we sin so that grace may abound? And Paul basically says, man, I don't think you even understand what I'm saying. Like, if you're asking that question, I don't think you even understand the gospel because we're dead to sin. Yeah. How can we still live in it? Mm. Right? We're, we're a totally different creature now. This is, this is, we, we don't live there anymore. And so, so in light of that, 
you know, there's a there's a there's a real and true sort of way where to one, we really wouldn't be asking this question anyway. We wouldn't be thinking in this way. But if you are, you just got to remind yourself mm. of who you are in Christ. Yeah. And and what has happened. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's so important to remember that all of God's attributes are held in full measure. Yes. That he is fully merciful. He is fully love. He is fully just. Yep. He is fully uh, righteous. He is completely holy. That he is all of these things in full measure all the time. Right. Which right. is which is difficult for us to understand because, because the fact that we think we can just understand God is is just arrogant. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's... I mean, Romans 2, 3, thing to the same. I'm stuck in Romans, right? Because that's what we're preaching. But I think, you know, when Paul says, uh, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and mercy, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, mm. right? So it, there's no question that he's merciful. But what is the point of that mercy? The point of that mercy is not for you to presume on it. Mm. The point of that mercy is to lead you to repentance, and in the case of Brooks, Brooks would take it a step farther, and I think he's right, not just to lead you to repentance, but to keep you from sinning. Mm-hmm. He is merciful to have forgiven the sins you already committed. Let's stare into mercy that direction. Let's stare into mercy looking back more than we do looking forward. Mm. So that's good. All right, remedy three. Here's what he says. The third remedy against this device of Satan is seriously to consider that sins against mercy will bring the greatest and sorest judgments upon men's heads and hearts. Mercy is alpha, justice omega. David, speaking of these attributes, placeth mercy in the forward and justice in the rearward, saying, my song shall be of mercy and judge, judgment. Excuse me. When mercy is despised, then justice takes the throne. God is like a prince that sends not his army against rebels before he hath sent his pardon. And proclaimed it by a herald of arms. He first hangs out the white flag of mercy. If this wins men, they are happy forever. But if they stand out, then God will put forth his red flag of justice and judgment. If the one is despised, the other shall be felt with a witness. See this in the Israelites. He loved them and chose them when they were in his blood and most unlovely. In their blood, I'm sorry, and most unlovely. He multiplied them, not by means, but by miracle. From 70 souls, they grew in a few years to 600,000. The more they were oppressed, the more they prospered. Like chamomile, the more you tread it, the more you spread it. Or the palm tree, the more it is pressed, the further it spreadeth. Or the fire, the more it is raked, the more it burns. Their mercy came in upon them like Job's messengers, the one upon the neck of the other. He put off their sackcloth and girded them with gladness and compassed them around with psalms of deliverance. He carried them on the wings of eagles. He kept them as the apple of his eye, etc. But they, <clears throat> abusing his mercy, became the greatest objects of his wrath. As I know not the man that can reckon up their mercies, so I know not the man that can sum up the miseries that are come upon them for their sins. For as our Savior prophesied concerning Jerusalem that a stone should not be left upon a stone, so it was fulfilled 40 years after his ascension by Vespasian the emperor and his son Titus, who, having besieged Jerusalem, the Jews were oppressed with a grievous famine, in which their food was old shoes, leather, old hay, and the dung of beasts. There died, partly of the sword, 
and partly of a famine, 1,100,000 of the poorer sort. 2,000 in one night were emboweled. 6,000 were burned in the porch of the temple. The whole city was sacked and burned and laid level to the ground, and 97,000 taken captives and applied to the base and miserable service, as Eusebius and Josephus saith. And to this day, in all parts of the world, are they not the offscouring of the world? None less beloved, and none more aboard than they. And so Capernaum, that was lifted up to heaven, was threatened to be thrown down to hell. No souls fall so low into hell if they fall as those souls that by a hand of mercy are lifted up nearest to heaven. You slight souls that are so apt to abuse mercy, consider this, that in the gospel days, the plagues that God inflicts upon the despisers and abusers of mercy are usually spiritual plagues, as blindness of mind, hardness of heart, benumbness of conscience, which are 10,000 times worse than the worst of outward plagues that can befall you. And therefore, though you may escape temporal judgments, yet you shall not escape spiritual judgments. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, saith the apostle? Oh, therefore, whenever Satan shall present God to the soul as one made up all of mercy, that he may draw thee to do wickedly, say unto him that sins against mercy will bring upon the soul the greatest misery. And therefore, whatever becomes of thee, thou wilt not sin against mercy. Mm. Hmm. So Brooks's point here that we should consider that judgment is more harsh when we sin upon mercy. Mm-hmm. That those who have been given much, much will be required. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great reference. That's exactly what he's getting at. Like, you're, you're given mercy not so that you will sin more, mm-hmm. you know, but that you will grace absolutely does abound, but not so that we will sin more. Yeah. And, and the warnings, I love you, he uses Israel basically as the illustration. Like, mm-hmm. look at what happened to Israel. How much grace were they given? How much mercy were they shown over and over and over again? And they continued to sin against mercy. And received the harsh, harsh judgment because of it. Yeah, I was just reading earlier before this podcast, I was reading Ezekiel 30, I think it's Ezekiel 34, the shepherds, the false, the, oh, yeah. the false shepherds of Israel, and God's harsh words for what would ultimately be the Pharisees of Jesus's time who mm. would hear the good shepherd who lay down his life for his sheep and reject him. And, you know, the stone that the builders rejected became the cornerstone. And you have all these old Testament prophecies fulfilled mm. the life of Christ and the rejection by the Pharisees who ultimately for generation after generation and generation had been the recipients of mercy. Mm. And we cannot continue to do that and expect God to just sit idly by in heaven and allow it. Yeah, he he is he is he is rich in patience and mercy, but he is just, and he will execute judgment and justice. And to to sin against mercy, as Brooks says, is just the most grievous of sin. I love the I love the quote in here about being closer to the being closer to heaven. Oh yeah, that that you know that there's there's more misery for those who are closer to heaven than there are. Uh, for others, and man, I've seen this. You know, the no souls fall so low into hell if they fall as those souls that by hand of mercy are lifted up nearest to heaven. You know, in a real practical way, if the Lord allows you length of days to live as a Christian in this world, you are going to see this. This is mm. going to happen. You're going to see people who, for a time, for a season, are just so devoted to the things of God and they're 
They're, they're living in a way that's consistent, that seems consistent with the scriptures and they're working out, looks like they're working out salvation, things like that. And then most of the time, it's not this sudden thing. Sometimes it's just this gradual walking away from the discipline of grace. Mm-hmm. But over time, that same person who's, who's way up here on a spiritual plane that you don't think you could ever be is now down here eating pig food yeah. because they've squandered their inheritance. Yeah. And you, you just are going to see that. And it's heartbreaking. As a pastor, you see this, and it's heartbreaking every single time. And rightly so, it should be, because it is also heartbreaking to the Lord. But the Lord, who is brokenhearted over those things, will also execute judgment. Mm-hmm. Right? There's a, there's, a, there's a real, in a very real sort of way, I think of like, a, a is it First Corinthians 5? Hand them over to Satan for the destruction, destruction of their flesh so that their souls may be spared in the last day. Yeah. That really, in a situation like that, if that person is truly converted, they won't live that way for long. Mm. Because their their flesh will be destroyed. Yeah. So that their souls will be saved in the last day. There's a good motive for it. There's yeah. a right reason for it. But that is a thing that will happen. Yeah. And I've seen it happen. I'm I've watched it happen. And and you know it it, it, it there's an inevitability to it. Why? Yeah. Because you're sinning against mercy. Yeah. And it's exactly what Brooks is saying. This is the the severest, the sorest of all the of judgment. All the judgment yeah. is to judge those who sin against mercy, which, which, is, which comes back to exactly what you said at the beginning, to whom much is given, much is required. Much is required. Yeah. Yeah. And boy, to see, to see what happens when the, the, what Paul calls the destruction of their flesh happens. It's yeah. just not a pretty picture. It's no, never it's a pretty picture. No, it's not. All right, well, let's hit number four here. Rolling. Uh, remedy four. The fourth remedy against this device of Satan is seriously to consider that though God's general mercy be over all his works, yet his special mercy is confined to those that are divinely qualified. So in Exodus 34, 6 through 7, the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands. Forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty. Exodus 20, verse 6, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Psalm 25, 10, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. Psalm 32, verse 10, many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord mercy shall compass him about. Psalm 33, 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy. Psalm 103, 11. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. Verse 17. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. When Satan attempts to draw thee to sin by presenting God as a God all made up of mercy, oh, then reply, that though God's general mercy extend to all the works of his hand, yet his special mercy is confined to them that are divinely qualified, to them that love him and keep his commandments, to them that trust in him, that by hope hang upon him and that fear him, and that thou must be such a one here, or else thou canst never ever be happy hereafter. Thou must partake of his special mercy, or else eternally, perish in everlasting misery, notwithstanding God's general mercy. Mm. So Brooks here looks at the difference between common grace and saving grace. Yep. 
that there's a common grace that God does show mercy and grace to everyone. That, right. that everyone who has breath in their lungs is has that because of the common grace of God. Yes, every every person who's ever lived can enjoy the flavor of a good steak, generally yes. speaking. Why? Common grace. Common grace of God. But the saving grace of God is not extended to everyone. Not everyone gets to enjoy the wonders of salvation. Not everyone right. will actually be a child of God. And so Brooks encourages us to think to, to ponder on the fact that we have received a special mercy. Yeah. Not just a mercy given to everyone, but if we believe we are truly Christians, we are recipients of God's special saving grace. Right. And, and why would you presume on that? Yeah. To be chosen to be in him before the foundations of the world. Right? Like, we, it's easy to kind of gloss over Ephesians 1, but to think that that means that I have been allocated a special mercy that not every human has been allocated. I have been given it by his grace. Mm-hmm. And why would I presume on that? How could I presume on that? Truly, if I'm converted, will I presume on that is, is actually an excellent question. Mm. Like, and if I do, will I do it over and over again? Like, I think we all will do it some. But it becomes a, when it becomes a habitual pattern, we have to then begin really asking fruit sort of questions. Do I yeah. see fruit, you know, what kind of fruit am I bearing? Mm-hmm. Well, there's one more remedy and we're done. So let's get this. Let's see if we can get this let's knocked knock out. Knock it out. Knock it out. Remedy five. The fifth remedy against this device of Satan is solemnly to consider that those that were once glorious on earth and are now triumphing in heaven did look upon the mercy of God as the most powerful argument to preserve them from sin. And defense their souls against sin and not as an encouragement to sin. Mm. Psalm 26 verses 3 through 5. For thy loving kindness is before mine eyes and I've walked in thy truth. I have not sat with vain persons, neither will I go in with dissemblers. I have hated the congregation of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. So Joseph strengthens himself against sin from the remembrance of mercy. How then can I, says he, do this great wickedness and sin against God? He had his eye fixed upon mercy, and therefore sin could not enter. Though the irons entered into his soul, his soul being taken with mercy was not moved with his mistress's impudence. Satan knocked oft at the door, but the slight of mercy of mercy would not suffer him to answer or to open. Joseph, like a pearl in a puddle, keeps his virtue still. So, Paul, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How can we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? There is nothing in the world that renders a man more unlike to a saint and more like to Satan than to argue from mercy to sinful liberty, Mm. from divine goodness to licentiousness. This is the devil's logic. And in whomsoever you find it, you may write, this soul is lost. A man may as truly say the sea burns or fire cools as that free grace and mercy should make a truly gracious soul to do wickedly. Mm. So the same apostle, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So, John, these things I write unto you that ye sin not. What was it that he wrote? 
He wrote that we might have fellowship with the Father and his Son, and that the blood of Christ cleanseth us from all sin, and that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and that if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. These choice favors and mercies the apostle holds forth as the choicest means to preserve the soul from sin and to keep at the greatest distance from sin. And if this will not do it, you may write the man void of Christ and grace and undone forever. Mm. So Brooks encourages us to look at the scriptures, at the examples we have in the scriptures of those who look at God's mercy and see it as a means against sin. Right. And see it as an encouragement not to sin, not an encouragement to sin. Man, yeah. I just, oof. I, and I, I love, I mean, it's just so, the sentence, there is nothing in the world that renders a man more unlike to a saint and more like to Satan. You, yes. you could just stop with, there's nothing more unchristian. He goes on and says, not only is there nothing more unchristian, there's nothing more satanic than this. Than this. And what is the, this? To argue from mercy to sinful liberty, to say, oh, well, God's going to forgive me of this sin, so it's okay that I go ahead and commit it. Mm. That is, the that is you are of your father, the devil. That's what he's saying. Yes. Straight up. Yes. Like, get behind me, Satan. Yes. You know, you do not have God's desires in mind, but your own in those moments. From divine goodness to licentiousness. Yes. I love it. I, love, I mean, it's, 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 it's encouraging that, the, you know, we finally get to him. Reading Romans 6 2, because I feel like I've said Romans 6 2, like this entire section, really, out loud or <laughs> in first, my mind. The first 42 pages of this but book. But I feel like that was where he was headed. Yeah. Yes, no, we should not sin so that grace may abound. And and the thinking of that, which is kind of wrapping up this whole device, to think that way is a device of Satan. Yes. And the precious remedy is to stare into the gospel, mm. to look at the gospel of grace for what it is. Yeah. That we may, as Romans 12 one says, present our bodies as living sacrifices, mm. holy and acceptable for God, which is our spiritual act of service. Yeah. You know, that's the, that's the work. That's the goal that's is to live our lives in such a way that we we can't live our lives free from sin. Yeah, I wish I could. And the older I get, the more I wish that mm. I wish that I could. But I can sin less now than I did five years ago, 10 years ago. And I should. Because that should be the mark of a believer in Jesus, is this pattern of sinning less over the course of your life as you are conformed to the image of Christ. And that's what Berks is saying. That's the goal, man, is that the divine mercy that you were prone to presume on is actually the means by which we are being sanctified. Hmm. So, man, that's a good section. That, that was yeah, fun. yeah. All right, friends. Well, next time we get together, we'll be on device number six. Thank you for listening today. This is fun for us to do. We hope it is a blessing to you as well. And if you would just share this with your friends, tell them what we're doing. Maybe if someone else would like to sit and spend time reading a book by an old dead guy together, we'd love to do that with them as well. Blessings to you, and we will talk again soon. Goodbye.